I'd like to begin just by reading the first two verses of Romans chapter 12. If you would, if you're able, please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Two very famous and very powerful verses of Scripture. Let's read Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's pray. Father, please now help us, give us ears to hear your appeal to us. Give us clarity of mind to hear your appeal, to process it and understand it, and to respond. May we all respond with a yes this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. God is making an appeal to us this morning. Your translations may not say appeal. They may say beseech or urge. God is beseeching us. He is urging us to do something very specific and practical and clear. We have been studying theology and sort of philosophical ideas for some time now. But today, the rubber meets the road, and we have to respond. So he makes his appeal to you, each of you, and to me. How will we respond? When someone makes an appeal to you, you have to respond. You don't have the choice to not respond. You either respond with a yes, a no, that's it. No response is a no response. If, you know, the Democratic National Convention is coming up, if you looked out your window and saw the presidential motorcade pulling into your driveway and Obama hops out and comes to your door and knocks on a Secret Service agents on either side and you open it up and he says, Hi, my name's Barack. Uh, I understand you have lots of good ideas about how our government should run. I want to give you a job. I'm appealing to you. Will you please come work with me? You can be, we'll call it whatever, assistant to the American president or assistant American president, whatever you want to be. I'm appealing to you, beseeching you, urging you, please come work with me. You can either say yes or you can say no. Those are your only two options. If you just sip your coffee and then go back to washing dishes or whatever you're doing, that's a no response. So you are being appealed to. We are being beseeched and urged, okay? So you're here now. There's no escaping it now. You're here, and God is watching, and we must respond. So let's, let's apply ourselves to this and figure out exactly what he is asking of us. This appeal is to anyone and everyone who calls himself a Christian. That's what he means by brothers. It could be brothers or sisters, those who are adopted into the family of God through Jesus Christ. This appeal is for everyone in here who calls themselves a brother or sister, a Christian. So listen carefully. 
At first, let's acknowledge what is the basis of this appeal. He says, therefore, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So based on the sovereign mercies of God, these big, beautiful, brilliant ideas we've been studying about how God is working through history, through people groups, through Israel, through the Gentiles, to gather a people of mercy to to himself. Based on all of this big truth we've been studying, I appeal to you. We've talked a lot about God's mercies. I'm not going to go into it too deep since we have spent so much time on it, but it's very important to God that his people be a people of mercy, not a people of merit. In other words, what we gain through Jesus isn't payment for services we've rendered. It's undeserved, but he offers it anyway through Christ. And in light of that, in light of the new life, the forgiveness, the cleansing of your sins, the adoption as sons and daughters, in light of all these mercies, God is appealing to us. So the mercy is the motivation for saying yes, not the goal of saying yes. We don't earn his mercy by saying yes. It's very important that we get that. Paul spent 11 chapters establishing that it's yours in Christ already. Okay? You with me on that? It's really important before we move forward. I'm going to take that as a yes. Yes, we're with you. So what is the appeal? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present something. Present means to offer up, offer over, present something to God. So based on God's sovereign mercies, present not just your spirit, Not just your soul, not just your wallet, not just your time, your bodies. Present your bodies, your physical bodies. So all of this majestic, lofty stuff we've been studying it may have seemed distant and far removed from any practical realities of daily life. But here we see that that is not the case. God's sovereign mercies displayed throughout Jesus Christ, throughout all of history, they have profound implications for your body, your hands, your feet, your face. Your mouth, your nose, your ears, your eyes, your arms, your legs, your internal organs. You get the idea. Your body. Do you see how how fleshy this is? How real this is? How practical this is about to get? The body that you wash in your shower every morning, ideally... The body that you drag out of bed in the mornings and that you dump back in the bed in the evenings. The body that you take into your doctor when it's not working right. The body that is aging a little more day by day. The body that you brought in here and sat down in that pew. The body you dressed to come here. That body, that's what God is talking about. He's making an appeal to you that you must respond to, yes or no, regarding your body. Present it, offer it, give it, 
as a living sacrifice to God. You know, the Old Testament sacrificial system, people would bring an animal to the priest and the priest would kill it. And that was the sacrifice. This sacrifice is different. That was a dying sacrifice. This is a living sacrifice. So your body will go on breathing and operating every day. And each minute of each day, it lives as a sacrifice to God. So it's not that you lay it down and you're done with it. This is your day in, day out calling now in light of the mercies of God. And this is holy and acceptable to God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Do you want to do something that will please God? This is it. If you want to live your life in a way that's pleasing to our Lord in response to these wonderful mercies he's poured out through Jesus, this is it. Think deeply about the mercies of God. That's what we've been doing for months. And let, let your, your understanding and your um, absorption of these mercies fuel inside you a motivation to give yourself, your body up in real physical, practical ways to God. That is holy and acceptable to God. Don't think that you can offer up to God other stuff, but withhold your body, and that is holy and acceptable. It isn't. This is what God asks. There are sacrifices that are unholy. There are sacrifices that are unacceptable. We see a lot of evidence of that through the rest of Scripture. For one, uh, attending religious gatherings out of a sense of self-righteousness. That is unholy and unacceptable. God made that very clear in Isaiah chapter 1. Another example, saying public prayers or giving big donations publicly so that people will be impressed with you. That is unholy. That is unacceptable. But this, this given to God is holy and acceptable. This is our spiritual worship. You know, we say loving God is a very important priority here at Doolin's Grove. You know, Jesus made it pretty plain to us. He knew we were simple-minded folk. So he summed up all the commands. And the biggest one, the number one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's worship. But what is Christian worship? Have you ever thought about it? Worship's another of those fuzzy church terms. What is Christian spiritual worship? You know, we're, we're interviewing and prayerfully looking for someone to lead us musically on Sunday mornings right now. Uh, Meredith has helped us through the summer, through the spring and summer. This is actually her final Sunday doing that for us. And then the music committee will handle the music until we get someone in place. So we're interviewing folks. And I'll talk to them about, you know, worship. And what I'm listening for is I want to make sure they understand that worship is far more 
than the singing we do on Sunday mornings. Worship is way more than just singing some songs. Yes, that's a part of it, a really important part of it. But that's not worship, is it? So what is it? What is Christian spiritual worship? Is it singing and music? Is it giving money and resources? Is it attending religious services and gatherings? Is it having your quiet times? Here's one biblical way to look at it. One biblical definition of Christian spiritual worship. It is the ongoing, sacrificial, daily offering of our bodies to God in response to his mercies poured out to us through Jesus Christ. That's your spiritual worship. We call this hour worship service. God's appeal to you this morning and to me is to make every minute of every day a worship service. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual worship. Now, maybe some of you, you're hearing this and you feel like, yes, I want to worship this way. I want to present my body as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? How do I do it? What do I do? The first thing you need to know is there's something that works against this. There's something that's going to hinder us from thinking deeply about the mercies of God and responding by offering our bodies up as living sacrifices. It's the conforming influence of this world. If you go into verse 2, back there in the mysterious pit. Paul delivers, as I'm delivering to you this morning, an appeal straight from God. And then his train of thought flows immediately into a negative command. Do not be conformed to the image of this world. Do not be conformed to the image of this world. You see, the conforming influence of our world will always work against our spiritual worship. It will always work against our ability to truly worship God by presenting our bodies as living sacrifices to him. It will always be a challenge. So what is the world? It's the scriptural label that we put on all of the human system apart from God. It's, it's the whole earthly world system apart from God. It's the way we do entertainment. It's the way we do business apart from God. It's the way we do government apart from God. It's the way we communicate apart from God. The whole world system apart from God works against us. It works through, you know what I'm talking about. It works through magazines. It works through conversation at the water cooler, at the office. It works through billboards. It works through uh, our government structure. It works through our popular music culture. It works through our film industry. It works through all the things that we have developed as the world apart from God. It works through that to press you down into a mold to force you into its image. You know what I mean by a mold? Like, have you played with Play-Doh lately? I play with Play-Doh with the kids sometimes, and we have these molds, and you get the water Play-Doh, and you push this mold down on the Play-Doh, And the Plato fills in all the crevices of the mold 
and you pluck it off and it looks just like the mold. Every minute of every day, the influence of the world is trying to push this mold down on us through all these different avenues. And what Paul is saying is, if you want to do this, if you want to really worship God, you've been thinking deeply about his mercies, and if you want to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, you're going to face a challenge. Don't be conformed to this world or this age, your Bible might say. Instead, be transformed. So the opposite of being conformed to the world, allowing this mold to squish down on you and change you and shape you into looking like the world, the opposite of that is being transformed. So if you're conformed, you haven't changed in substance. You've just changed in shape. You follow me? When I push that mold down on the Play-Doh, it doesn't transform the Play-Doh into something else. It just rearranges the shape of the Play-Doh. Now, if I were able to transform it, I could make it into an actual snake. That's about the height of my Play-Doh ability. The opposite of being conformed to the world is being transformed into something new, something different from the world. You are experiencing one of these. One of these is happening to you. You are either experiencing day-to-day, week-to-week, you are either experiencing being conformed to the image of the world or being transformed into something radically different. The Bible doesn't indicate that there's any middle ground. One of these two things is happening to you. Which is it? Are you growing to look more like the world, the human system apart from God, or are you growing to look like something transformed and different? Something to think about. So how, okay, you're following along with me, I'm assuming. I see some sleepy faces, but not as many as usual, so that's good. You're following along and you say, yes, I want this. I need, I need, this is what I need to hear. God's preaching to me. This, I know this is, appeal is for me. I understand God's mercies. And I want to respond by offering my body as a living sacrifice. I don't want to be conformed to the mold of this world. I see what you mean. I see that mold pressing down on me. I don't want that. I want to be transformed. How do I do that? How do I be transformed? You are transformed by the renewal of your mind. Was that, is that unexpected to anybody else? I know we're kind of familiar with these two verses. A lot of us tend to be kind of anti-intellectual. We don't think that the mind has that much to do with our Christian faith. We'd rather say, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of Jesus Christ. He'll, he'll renew you, which I think that would be valid. But Paul chose to say, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The mind grows old. The mind grows hard and stiffened into the mold that the world presses down on us. It needs to be renewed. Elias had a birthday recently and we gave him a pet fish. It was supposed to be our one and only first pet. And then a kitten darted into our house during his birthday party. 
I've been preaching about the sovereignty of God for months and months and months. And I guess it was his plan for this cat, Agent Kitty, is what they named him, to be ours. So this cat has stolen the thunder from this poor fish. He was going to be the center of attention in terms of pets. We've never had a pet. But instead now we have a cat. So it's hard to remember to tend to the fish. You're supposed to refresh, renew that water on some regular basis. I don't even know how regularly. And we noticed that it was getting cloudy in there because we hadn't renewed it. And I think Meredith did it last night. So I tell you all that just as an illustration. That's sort of what happens to our minds. They, our minds need to be renewed. Left to, the, to itself, our mind is going to get cloudy and it's going to get fashioned after the mold of the world. It needs to be renewed and it takes some intentional work on our part. How do we renew our minds? How do we have our minds renewed? I believe what he means is, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. I think what he's saying is, I say I think because he doesn't make it as crystal clear as I would like, but he never does. But I believe what he's indicating is that it is the testing and the discerning of the will of God that renews our minds. This is the most logical reading of this passage uh, that I can come to. I think it is the testing and the discerning of the will of God that renews our minds. So you can read it like this. Don't be conformed to this world, but be mentally transformed by testing, by examining, by working like a scientist in his lab to figure out and prove out and discern what is the will of God in your every situation and circumstance. Thereby, you'll be transformed in how you live and the decisions you make, and you'll be enabled to offer your body as a living sacrifice. See, I'll bet there's a question raising up in your minds as we've gone through this. What do you actually mean by present my body as a living sacrifice? Do you mean I have to go be killed as a Christian? Is that what you mean? Well, Paul doesn't say exactly what he means yet. Because I think he's indicating that the process of learning what that means for you, learning what is the will of God for your body, is the process that renews your mind, the process that transforms you into a different kind of person, and the process that enables you to offer your body as a living sacrifice. That may be a little confusing, but you've seen this if you've seen the movie Courageous. Tell me somebody's seen Courageous. Yes, you guys got a DVD player. I, I didn't see. Raise your hand again if you've seen the movie Courageous. Okay, it's a pretty good movie. I don't usually get too jazzed up about Christian productions on movies or even music because often it's lacking, um, as if I'm the critic that people care about what I think about movies. But this one was, was pretty good. I recommend watching it. But you saw this process if you watched the movie Courageous. In the movie Courageous, uh, it follows the storyline of a father. His father loses his daughter. She dies. And then he goes through this transformation process of learning what it even means to be a father, a Christian father. He has a son that is still living, and he's, he's neglected his son, and he's got to figure out what does it mean to biblically, practically be a Christian father. 
And so there's these scenes of him with his Bible just studying it. And he's got books around and he's just searching the scripture. What is the will of God for a Christian man who's trying to be a father? And you see he's developing this list of scriptural pointers for how to be a father. That's, I believe, what Paul's talking about. The transformation you see that guy make in the movie is the transformation Paul's talking about. By the renewing of his mind as he searches and searches and searches for what is the will of God for me as a father. Transforms him. And then you see him sacrificially giving his body in different ways as worship. For him, it it takes the form of his son's in the running, so he's got to get into running. And you see this old middle-aged man trying to keep up with his son running. Go watch Courageous. It's a really good picture of Romans 12, 1 through 2. Maybe you're still not clear on it. I got a couple more examples. I made these up. So let's say you are a young man or a young woman. I know that's stretching the imagination for some of you. Not going to call any names. (laughs) Let's say you're a young man or young woman. You've just graduated high school or you're about to graduate high school. You've been thinking deeply about the sovereign mercies of God. You've been here on Sundays and you've heard the sermons and you're just captivated. That's got to have happened to somebody. You've been thinking deeply about the mercies, the sovereign mercies of God, and you're just taken by the gospel and you want to respond. You want to present your body as a living sacrifice. And so as you approach these decisions, where to go to school, if to go to school, when to move out, when to stay home, who to date, that stuff starts to come up more. As you approach those decisions, you grab your Bible and you start to test and examine and try to prove out what is the will of God for someone in your situation. You get your concordance and you start looking for anything you can find about career paths or education or learning or even marriage, if you're starting to think about dating. You start searching and searching. You get on your computer and you Google, what does the Bible say for recent high school grads? What does the Bible say about choosing a career path, an education path? What does the Bible say about dating? This is typing, not magical. Computer, tell me, what does the Bible say? You start to seek counsel. You go to uh, men and women that you respect who've gone through that transition who might have good, wise, godly counsel for you, and you ask them, and you, get, you have a notebook, and you're writing notes, testing, examining, searching, trying to prove out, discerning, what is the will of God for me now that I'm leaving high school? And in that process, your mind is renewed. And in that mental renewing, you are transformed. By making decisions based on God's will. What is good? What is acceptable? So instead of being pressed down into the world's mold that says, go where your friends go. Go where it's going to be fun. Go where the money is. Be lazy for a couple of years. Extend your childhood. You don't have to work right now. Work later. Mooch off the parents. Instead of letting that mold press down on you, you instead say, what's going to honor God? What's going to be the best stewardship of my gifts that God gave me? 
What's going to be most honoring to my parents? What's going to set me up to be able to provide for a family one day? What's going to uh, allow me to make disciples? What's going to be good stewardship of the resources God's given me? The place where he's chosen for me to live. Who might I date that would um, potentially lead to a God-glorifying marriage? You see how that can transform a person from looking like the world into something different? And then as you learn all that stuff, you're able to offer your body as a living sacrifice to God. Not to earn his mercy, but in light of what he's done for you. It might mean working your body harder than you've ever worked before. To pave your own way through school because you saw you, it's not good to get in debt. Does that make, does that translate? have two other examples. Let's say you are in the sandwich generation, which I know many of you are. That's the generation that has children or grandchildren that require of you and that has aging parents that require of you. And you're sandwiched in between. You're trying to live your own life and your kids need you, your grandkids need you, and your parents need you. So you've been thinking deeply about the sovereign mercies of God. You've been captivated by this gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. And you want to respond with worship. You want to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So you use your mind and you apply your mind to searching the scriptures. What what in here will shed light on this situation? How am I to relate to my kids, my grandkids, my parents? You get on Google. And you search, what does the Bible say for folks in the sandwich generation? What does the Bible say about uh, Christians honoring their aging parents? What does the Bible say about Christian uh, parenting of grown children, grandparenting? And you find Google, you see those scriptures, and you go look them up, and you take it seriously. You write them down. You study these things. You examine these things to discern what is the will of God? What is good and acceptable here? You go seek wise counsel. And in that process, your mind is renewed. And in that mental renewing, you are transformed by the priorities that develop in your life that are different from the mold that the world would press down on you. And you're able to offer your, give your body as a living sacrifice. It might require that you use your tongue more carefully than you ever would before. Because you know you are a, an example to these grandkids. It might require that, that you tire your body out more than you're used to to care for these aging parents, to honor them. And that's not just, maybe that's the nice thing to do. That is your spiritual worship. That is worship, probably deeper and more than, than some of our singing in here. And it's holy. It's acceptable to God. Last one I'll make real quick. Let's say you're retired or you're approaching retirement. You've been thinking deeply about the sovereign mercies of God. You want to present your body as a living sacrifice in response with this new influx of time. So instead of letting the world press this mold down on you, which says, this is your time now, it's time for leisure, it's time for relaxation until you die. 
Instead, you're searching the scriptures, you're seeking counsel, you're Googling, what's biblically, how should I look at retirement? And in the process, your mind is renewed, and in the process of your mind being renewed, you are transformed by the practical decisions you make about how you're going to spend your time. And you find an avenue to offer, present your body as a living sacrifice to God. You know, it may require that you use your mind more than you're used to to study the scriptures so that you can take some people under your wing to disciple them, younger men or women. If you want more examples, you're in luck because Romans 12, 13, and 14 is pretty much an outworking of the practical ways in which we can do this. That's what's coming up for us. We're going to study what this means for serving in the church. What this means for relating to uh, people who mistreat you. What this means for relating to authorities. What this means for relating to weaker, more, uh, or less mature Christians. And then Paul rounds it out with pointing to Jesus, how he's the perfect example of it. And then we'll be done with Romans. I mean, it's not going to happen that fast. It's going to be like next spring. So. Where am I? Here is the appeal that you are presented with this morning by God. This is real. This is serious. I tend to um, joke a lot, but this is no joke. This appeal is for me and for you, and we must respond with a yes or a no. No response is a no response. So this is what God is saying to you this morning in Romans 12, 1 and 2. In light of my sovereign mercies, give me your bodies as an ongoing daily sacrifice. If you want to worship me, that's what it looks like. Beware the conforming influence of the world. Fight it by using your mind to examine what is my will in your situations, your circumstances. In so doing, you'll be transformed. You'll see how you are to offer your body as a living sacrifice. And you'll be enabled to do it in real life practical ways. Will you do this? Yes or no? Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would not let us escape your appeal this morning. And I beg of you that we would all say yes. And then that you would teach us how, enable us to. Anyone in here who does not understand what you mean by the mercies of God, I pray that you would teach them about your mercies through Jesus Christ. Lead someone into their life that can explain it to them, live it out. If there are people in here who are unmoved, by your appeal, I pray that you would draw them to spend more time meditating on your mercies poured out in Jesus and then that they would be motivated to say yes to your appeal. For everyone in here who is motivated to say yes, I pray that you would bring to mind specific areas in which they need to go and search and test and examine what is your will. And that they would joyfully and excitedly go and offer their bodies as living sacrifices in those areas. Not to earn your mercy, but...
because of the mercy you've already given to them. May we be a people who worship you, your way. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.